Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here today, and today we are going to talk about something that we don't talk about enough in church about. I mean, there's some things we talk a lot about in church, but there's some things we don't talk enough about, and today is one of those things we're going to talk about, and it's this. It's worship. Because my heartbeat, and this, I just want you to hear my heart today. This, I'm just going to share a lot of truths in Scripture, but I want you to hear my heart this morning. I want us to be a church of worshipers. I want us to be a church that worship is just what we do. It's part of who we are. In fact, I believe that in the life of every believer, worship has to be an important part. Do you believe that this morning? I hope you do. So if that's the case, if worship is to be an important part of the life of every believer, I want to lay a foundation before we get into the passage today. I want to lay this foundation. What is worship? Now, if I ask you to talk to your neighbor and come up with a definition of worship, can you imagine how many different definitions we would come up with today? It would be a lot, wouldn't it? I mean, because everybody has a different view on that. Some would say, well, music is worship, or giving is worship, or listening to preaching is worship. And I would say none of those are right. Let me give you a biblical definition of worship. Here it is. Worship is ascribing worth to the Lord. That's worship. Did you know that? Worship is ascribing worth towards something. Another way to say it is this, is that when we express our adoration and admiration to the Lord, that is worship. Now, are you with me on that? If you're with me, say, I got it. I want you to know this because worship is not music, it is not giving, it is not listening to the guy preaching the word of God. Worship is ascribing worth to the Lord. Worship is expressing my admiration and my adoration to the Lord. That's worship. Now, how do we worship? Well, through singing is one way. I mean, there's a lot of different ways we ascribe worth to the Lord. There's a lot of different ways we express our adoration and our admiration to the Lord. Three things that we do every Sunday morning. One is we sing. Now, when we sing songs, for many of us in the room, we need to realize that these are not just words on the screen that we hope you regurgitate. In fact, a while ago when, when Patrick was leading and said, you know, our fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. For some of you, man, that's kind of a catchy tune. Well, listen, it's not a catchy tune. That is truth, right? That is biblical truth that if God is for me, what? Who could be against me? I mean, I've, I'm on his team, and he's on my team, and if he's for me, nobody can be against me. And so one way that we ascribe worth to the Lord is through singing, because when we sing, we are declaring the greatness of God. One of my favorite songs, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite songs? Well, I really have two right now, and tomorrow it could all change, all right? But for right now, I have two. One is Good, Good Father. You know why? Because we live in a world where there are not a lot of good, good fathers. And I think there are a lot of people that are ascribing and thinking that God is a reflection of the terrible father they have on earth. And that song reminds me, while I had a good father, it reminds me that God is not just a good father, he's an amazing father, that he's always with me. And knowing that, that, that loved is how he treats me. He, he loves me, and that's who I am. I'm loved by God. And my second favorite song is Reckless Love. Now, I know some of you look at that and go, well, is God's love reckless? Well, from a human perspective, it is, right? Because when people rebel against you, what do we do as humans? We write them off. We're done with them. But God's love didn't do that. God's love pursued us. And so one way that we ascribe worth and worship God, one way we express our adoration and admiration to God is through singing on a Sunday morning, not grumbling, 
Not going, I don't like that music. You know what? I'm sure there's a lot of things God doesn't like about what you're doing too. Right? But that's what we do. We sing. Another way that we ascribe worth, now you're going to love this one, is by giving. So I'm like, oh, no, I knew it was coming, but it's true. Listen, when I give, when I put this check in my pocket, in that basket when it passes, here's what I'm saying. God, I'm ascribing worth to you, and I'm expressing my adoration for you because by me putting this check in there, I'm reminding myself that it all belongs to you, every bit of it. And God, I am honored and I am privileged that all you ask in return of my 10 money bags filled full of money is you just want one back. And God, I'm privileged to be able to give back to you. Now, do you all ever think about giving like that? Some of you are like, oh, it's just painful. I don't know if I can let go of that thing when I, I get over the basket and there's something in me that just says, I just can't let go. Listen, one way that we ascribe worth to the Lord and, and adore him is through giving. Do you know that? Let me give you another way. It's by listening to the truth of God's word proclaimed. That's another way we listen to the Lord. Because listen, when we, when we worship the Lord and we ascribe worth to him, and when we express our adoration to him, one way that we do that is by listening to his word. Not listening with a, a skeptical ear, but by listening saying, God, I need to hear your word today. I need your word uh, totally to come into my life and transform me because this book is the authority by how I live my life. And so, God, I'm not listening to get out of it what I want. I'm listening because I want you to speak to me today. Have you ever thought about this? Does God still speak today? Do you think he speaks today? Now, some of you are like me. I'm not very smart, possibly, and, and uh, I'm not the sharpest tool in the tool shed, if you know what I mean, and I would love to hear the audible voice of God. I would love to hear God say, God, say, Doug, don't do that. I mean, wouldn't you love to hear God speak to you that way? And maybe some of you have. I haven't. It's like, it's like God is just like, nope, you're just, you're, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you, Doug. But I would love to hear that. But you know God speaks to me every day through this book, through his word. This is his breath. This is his word to me. And one of the ways that we ascribe worth to God and express our adoration to God is through singing on Sunday, through giving, and then ultimately through listening to God's word, saying, God, I believe your word is the word of truth. It is the absolute truth in this world, and I need it in my life. Now, here's the thing. Now that we know what worship is definition-wise, and now we know what it looks like and how we worship, listen to me, here's what's important for us all to know. We are all now required to be participants not consumers, right? Now you were, ignorance no longer can be your excuse. Now that you know what worship is, that it's ascribing worth to the Lord, it's expressing my adoration to him, and we do it through a lot of different ways, now you need to know that we all need to be participants and not consumers. You know what consumers do, right? They're the people in the bleachers at a football game that think they know better than the coach knows, right? They're the ones sitting back, and you know, they don't want to be inconvenienced, and they, they, know, they know more than anybody else knows, and, they, and their preferences should rule over everybody else's preferences. Listen, can we agree that in church life, unfortunately, there are a lot of consumers? Do you believe that? If you're not sure, you might be that person, right? People who just sit back. I mean, I have been in church before where there are people that have nothing good to say. Well, that preacher, he's just too loud. That preacher, he's just too long. That music, oh my gosh, what were they doing today? I mean, I mean, people that just complain. Listen, those are consumers. 
But can I tell you something? I'm focused on ascribing worth to the Lord. I'm not worried about the familiarity of a song. I'm not worried about the loudness of a preacher. What I'm focused on, that my king needs my praise. That my king is worthy of my praise. And that my king deserves me aspiring worth and adoration to him. So I'm not focused on the wrong things. I'm focused on my king. So you need to be a participant, not a consumer. So now that we've laid the foundation of what worship is, and we've talked about, you know, what that looks like for us, and that we need to be participants, not consumers, today I want us to look at the heart of a worshiper. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. In Isaiah chapter 6, there are really three things I want to pull from this passage of Scripture today. And I want us to look at Isaiah, this, this, this guy who had a heart to worship. I mean, he had a heart to ascribe worth, and he had a heart to express his adoration to the Lord, which is exactly the heart I hope we walk out of here with today. Now, as you're turning there, before we get into the passage, I want to give you a name that's in the passage we're going to read, and I want to give you a little bit of background because it's important to the passage. There's a name of a guy named King Uzziah. It's in the passage. In fact, it's in verse 1. And the first thing we find out is that this king, King Uzziah, has died. Now, a quick bio on King Uzziah. He was the king of Israel. Now, at this time in history, when Isaiah was prophesying, there were two kingdoms, a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. And Uzziah was the king to the northern kingdom. He became king of a nation at the age of 16. And he was king for 52 years. At 68 is when he passed away. Now think about that for just a minute. If someone is king for 52 years, what does that mean for a country? Well, if you know anything about Israel's history, they had a lot of terrible kings. I mean, there was not very many good ones, but Uzziah wasn't a terrible one. He wasn't a bad one. He wasn't like King David. He wasn't even as good as Solomon, but he wasn't terrible. He wasn't a pagan, so to speak. But King Uzziah, it was a nation that was still known as a nation who loved Yahweh, who loved God, and he brought stability. And the first thing we find out is this, that he dies. And as soon as the king, who's been king for 52 years, has died and has been dethroned, so to speak, and now there's not a king to take over just yet, guess what happens to Israel? Chaos. What happens, parents, when you leave the house with your kids and you tell them, hey, look, make sure you keep your rooms cleaned up, really think that all that's going to happen? Come on, parents, do you think that's going to happen? Now, kids, all, all of you that are under the age of 18 or 1,800 in the room, listen, we know that you're probably not going to listen. Well, that's not an excuse to do what you want to, but we know that when parents leave the room, chaos is what ensues, right? We know that happens, and that's what happens in Israel's history. You can go back and read if you want to, but when, when King Uzziah dies, Israel's history begins to be a picture of chaos. Now, here's another thing about King Uzziah you need to know before we read it. It's this. King Uzziah was the first cousin of Isaiah. They were first cousins. They were family. So we got this king who's brought stability to Israel, who's related to Isaiah. Now he's gone, and now we've got Isaiah in the picture. And for Isaiah, his heart is wrecked. His heart is breaking. Why? Because this nation that he loves is now in chaos. But also this king that was a family member that he loved is now gone. And so Isaiah, when we get to the passage, you just need to know that Isaiah has a heavy, heavy heart. One for the nation, but also for a family member who he's lost. And it's there we see the heart of this worshiper. Isaiah chapter 6. There's three things I want you to glean. Here's the first one. A worshiper truly sees God for who he is. 
A worshiper sees God for who he is. Look with me in verse 1 through 4. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called out to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook as the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now listen, the first thing I want you to know about this worshiper Isaiah is this, is that a worshiper sees God for who he is. And I want you to notice what Isaiah saw. The first thing he says is this, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated high and on his throne. He saw the Lord on the throne. Now, I want you to think about that with me for a minute. I don't want you to let things slip by. Because he says here, in the king Uzziah died, in the year that he died, I saw the Lord. Meaning, even in the most difficult time in my life, when I'm mourning the chaos of a nation, and I'm mourning the loss of a family member, even in the chaos of all that's going on, even when life was bleak, I saw the Lord. Don't miss that. Don't miss the fact that Isaiah's got a heart that is breaking, but in the midst of a broken heart, he says, I saw the Lord. Now, where was Isaiah's attention? Was it on the circumstances of a nation? Was it on the circumstances of a loss of a family member? Where was the eyes of Isaiah? Where were they? Not a trick question. Where were they? They were on the Lord. Man, isn't that a lesson we all kind of need to learn today? I don't know about you, but when life happens, I mean, I just seem to focus in on the circumstance. I seem to just drill down on the situation. Isaiah is a prophet who's lost control of a nation, and Isaiah's heart is heavy because of a loss of a family member, but yet he tends to look to the Lord. The writer of Hebrews is right when he said this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That when life hits you, and it will, and it comes hard, where are your eyes? Are your eyes drilled down the situation going, oh, Lord, what's going on? Are you lifting your eyes to the Lord going, you know what, Lord? I continue to look at you. Isaiah said he saw the Lord. But notice what he says. He saw the Lord on the throne. Now, why would that be important for Isaiah to mention that when he saw the Lord, he saw the Lord on the throne? Who sits on a throne? A king. And who is our king? Not a trick question. Who's our king? It's Jesus, right? It's God. He is our king. And so Isaiah says, listen, when I was at the deepest, most pitiful moment in my life, I looked to the Lord, and here's what I saw. I saw him on the throne. I saw a king sitting on his throne. Now, why would that be important for Isaiah? Because he's looking at a nation that's loaded with chaos. He's looking at a nation that does not have a king. But when he looks to God, he's like, my king is still on his throne. That God is still on his throne. He's still in control. And never Nothing has caught him off guard. Nothing. Despite what I'm going through, despite the fact we've lost our king of 52 years, God still sits on his throne, and he is in control. And this incident with Uzziah, it didn't catch God off guard. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, I pray as if what's happening in my life, if God didn't know it was happening. You ever prayed like that? Come on, you ever prayed like that? God, you know I, don't know, I don't know if you know this, God, but today was a terrible day. Well, yeah, he knows that. 
God, I don't know if you know this, but so-and-so's sick. And yeah, he knows that. See, when he acknowledged that God is on his throne, he's acknowledging that I see a sovereign king. I see a king who's reigning, who's ruling, who's all-knowing, who's all-powerful. And even though all hell is breaking loose on earth, my king is still on his throne. And nothing's caught him off guard. There wasn't a moment in heaven when God looked to the Trinity, the Father looked to the Trinity and go, did you know that was going to happen? Never. Why? Because God knows everything. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And then he says this, he saw the Lord is holy. Look with me in verse 2. He says, above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two they covered their face and with two they covered their feet. And with two they flew and they called to one another and they said this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth it's full of his glory. Now, it says that these, these are heavenly creatures. These seraphim are heavenly creatures. They're not angels. In fact, if you really thought about it, they have six wings. Two they cover their eyes, two they cover their feet, and two they flew with. I read one theologian said this, that it's almost our modern-day image of what a dragon would look like, that these were heavenly creatures. And then what are they doing? They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. I don't know if it was one of these moments in the throne room of God where it was like this half the room was going, these seraphim are going, we love Jesus, yes, we do. We love Jesus, how much you? And then this, this half the room were saying the same things. And they, they were, I don't know, but there was a echoing that was going back and forth. And they were saying, holy, 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 holy. I mean, they were just going back and forth. But notice what they were declaring. That God is holy. Now, if you say something once, like God is holy, you're, that's, that's like an adjective, right? You're describing the activities of God. You say Doug is a father, where you're describing my, my role in the activities of my life. I'm a father. But to say it twice, holy, holy, is a means of emphasis. That's why Jesus said it this way, verily, verily, I say to you. Or truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, I'm about to say something that's going to blow your mind, so listen carefully. So he says it twice. But to say something three times, holy, holy, holy. It's not just an adjective about God. It's not just for the emphasis to get your attention. He's describing the very character of God. God at the core of who he is, he's holy. Meaning he's unique. He's one of a kind. There's nobody like our God. And that's what Isaiah is saying. That in the year that my life fell apart, man, I saw the Lord. And he was seated on a throne because he's king and he's reigning and he's sovereign and he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. But he's on the throne. Even when life is unraveling, he's on the throne. And when I saw him not only on the throne, I saw that he's holy. He's unique. He's set apart. See, Isaiah saw the Lord and what he saw was that he is king who's totally in control and that he is holy, one who's set apart. See, true worshipers, please listen to this, true worshipers see and declare who God really is, right? True worshipers see and declare who God really is. And even when life is bleak, even when life hits us hard, if we look to the Lord, we will be reminded that he is king, that he is on the throne. Even when cancer comes, he's still on the throne. Even when tragedy comes, he's still on the throne. Even when you lost your job, he's still on the throne. And none of that caught him off guard. He's still king, he's still reigning, he's still all-knowing, and he's still all-powerful. Your king, King Jesus, he's still on his throne today. And see, true worshipers, we see God for who he is. But let me give you a second thing. 
true worshipers don't only see God for who he is. Secondly, we see ourselves for who we are. Now, this is important because the reason this conversation is important because I talk to people all the time, and inevitably, and you've all heard this before, we hear people say stuff like this. Well, you're not pretty good. Right? I mean, you ever heard somebody talk about themselves and they meant it in a spiritual way, but really what they said was, I'm good. You know, I feel like I'm a good person. I mean, you compare me to, I can just pick a name out, but I won't. But I mean, you just compare me to them, and man, man I, I'm good. Listen, when I think about who God is, he's king, he's on his throne, he's holy, he's righteous, he's pure, he's all-knowing and all-powerful. Is there anybody in the room that when we think about God in those terms, look to our own life and go, well, compared to that, I'm pretty good? Can we do that? No. See, here's the point. When we see God for who he is, it's also important for us to turn around and see ourselves for who we really are. And Isaiah does that. There's two things he says about himself. Here's the first one in verse five. He says, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what Isaiah is saying? Here's who I am, and I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. He acknowledged the sinfulness that he had, and he acknowledges his own unworthiness. And he says this, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's interesting he used the phrase lips. Now, why would he say that? Because what Isaiah is talking about is that things that come out of his mouth are not godly. They're not holy. And I live among a people who are not godly, who are not holy. But Jesus said this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning this, Isaiah is really saying is that when I look at my life, all I see is the wickedness that's deep within my heart that just happens to come out of my mouth. I see the sinfulness of my heart that is expressed through the things that I say. And not only that, I see the sinfulness of everybody that's around me, that we are wicked at the heart. He acknowledges his own sinfulness. See, when he thought about the holiness of God and then he looks to himself, here's what Isaiah said, woe is me. The word woe in the Hebrew, just for fun, is the word owie. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It's kind of like the idea of ouch. When I think about who God is, and I really catch a glimpse of who I am, ouch. That's painful. It's hard. You know why? Because I'm reminded that I'm a sinner. I'm reminded of my own unworthiness. I'm reminded of the, my own wickedness that rages deep within my heart. When I think about who God is and his holiness, I'm reminded about my wickedness. But there's another thing he remembers here, and it's this, verse six and seven. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Now, just real quick, I, don't miss this. How hot do you think this coal was? Look at it again. Look at it, verse six again. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. How hot do you think it was? I mean, if the, if, the, if the heavenly creature had to use tongs to grab a coal, I'm just gonna say that's pretty hot, right? And then verse seven says this, and he touched my mouth, and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sins have been atoned for. And that's a moment, isn't it? 
I mean, this moment where Isaiah sees who God is, he's king, he's sovereign, he's holy, he's righteous, and I've looked at myself, and what I see is wickedness and rebellion. But this heavenly creature took that coal and touched his mouth and says, God has atoned for your sin. God has cleansed you, and God has forgiven you. What a moment for Isaiah, right? I mean, would you, I mean, would you imagine, can you imagine that moment when Isaiah is sitting there and the seraphim is flying over tongs, holding this large coal and go, by the way, I'm about to touch your lips with this thing. And he does, and then he declares to him, your sins have been forgiven and you have been atoned for, meaning you are clean. It's as if you've never sinned before the eyes of God. What a great moment. And see, true worshipers understand who we are. We are sinful, we are wretched, and we are rebellious. But because of Jesus, everybody say, but because of Jesus. But because of Jesus, those who put our faith in him, we are now recipients of grace, not wrath. We are now forgiven, not condemned. And now, and now, we are free from the power and the bondage of sin. Did you know that today? Did you know that today? That where you said, if you are a child of God, if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are wretched. But at the end of the day, because of what Jesus has done for us, we now are recipients of grace. We have been forgiven. The blood of Jesus atoned and covered and cleansed and forgave us of our sins. And now we are free from the power, the bondage, and the penalty of sin. Is that good news for you today? Come on, is that good news for you today? It's great news for you today. So here's what we're going to do. Beyond me just talking about that, I want you to worship God with that. I want you to take a moment and ascribe worth to God for what he's done for you. I want you to take a moment and I want you to declare and express your adoration for God that in the midst, while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And that he saved you and forgave you. So I'm going to ask you this. Everybody stand up for a moment. Before I get to the third point, everybody just stand up. Stand up, put your Bibles down. Close your eyes and just listen, to, just listen to this for a moment. I know this is different. We've never done this, but I want you to hear my heart this morning. Before we wrap up the sermon, I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and just bow your heads. And in a moment, I'll come back to the third final point. But I want you to think about what we've talked about today. That if we're going to be a church of worshipers, we need to take a moment and celebrate who God is. So I want you to just take a moment right now and just thank him for being your king. Thank him for being on the throne. Thank him that when life is unraveling, that he's still in control. Thank him that he loves you and is mindful of you. Just take a moment and do that. Now I want you to take a moment and just think about who you are. As you think about who God is, now look at your own heart. And would you just confess your own wickedness to the Lord? Say, Lord, you know my thoughts, you know my deeds. And God, there's wickedness in me. But would you just take a moment and thank him for sending Jesus? That by putting our faith in him, that we receive forgiveness? That by putting our faith in him, we receive grace? By putting our faith in him, we are free from the bondage of sin. Would you just take a moment and express your gratitude to him for that?
I'm going to ask you to look right here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to just take a moment, a, a, a break from the message for a moment. And I want you to block out those around you. I don't want you to worry about, do I know the song? Do I not know the song? Oh, here's what I want you to do. As we sing these songs, as you sing the words on the screen, may they not just be words you're regurgitating, but maybe the, may be the essence of what you want to claim about God today, how you want to ascribe worth to him, how you want to express your adoration to him. And my prayer is that during this time, your worship will go to a whole new level. That it won't just be about a song on a screen, it'll be about the condition of your heart. So let's take a moment and let's worship him through music. Can we just stand in that this morning? I'm a child of God. What an amazing, amazing proclamation. There's freedom found in Christ. Let me say that again. That needs to get a reaction. There's freedom found in Christ. Amen. Amen. seat just for a moment. Man, I don't know about you, but you know, as, as we were talking about today, Patrick and I, we just felt like we needed to pause and take a moment. When we think about who God is and think about ourselves and just express our adoration. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for his grace. Are you thankful for his grace? Man, I'm thankful that I'm no longer in bondage to sin and I'm free from the penalty of that sin all because of Jesus. And amazing grace is not just, an, uh, just a song to sing. It should be the anthem of our life. Amen? Let me give you the third point here. True worshipers, not only see God for who he is, not only see ourselves for who we are, but thirdly, a worshiper lives a life of surrender. Look with me in verse 8, last verse. And Isaiah speaks and he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, what? Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I mean, if you think about that, Isaiah, I mean, he's thought about who God is. His holiness, he's king, he's sovereign. He's thought about who he is, that how he is a sinful, wretched person, but he celebrates the fact that his sins have been atoned for, that he's experienced the grace of God, just like us. And once he thinks about who God is, and in light of that who we are, there's only one conclusion for Isaiah, and it's this, surrender. When I think about who you are, God, and how magnificent and glorious you are, and I think about how wretched I am, but yet what you've done for me, my only response, Lord, is surrender. Here am I. Send me. God, I'm here. I get it. Send me. See, this is a declaration of availability. This is Isaiah saying, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, Lord, here am I. Send me. God, all my time, my talents, and my treasures, it belongs to you, God. I think I, I, I get a glimpse of who you are. I see who I am, and I've seen what you've done for me. So, Lord, here's my response. Just use me. Take me and use me. This is a declaration of availability. And here's my question for us today. Are we available like this? Do we have that mindset that we think about who God is and who we are, but yet what he's done for us? Do we respond, God, here I am, just send me. Whatever you want me to do, God. See, I believe if we are a church of worshipers, if we really get this, here's what will happen. We would never have to ask for workers in the preschool ever again. 
We would never have to ask for workers in the children's ministry ever again. We would never have to ask for workers for a host team. We would never have to ask people to serve among the church anyway. Why? Because if we're a body of worshipers, we're just going to say, God, here am I. Use my time, my talents, and my treasures. Meaning, God, put me where you want me. I'm willing to serve. I have a heart to do whatever you want me to do. If we were really had a heart of worshipers, we would never have to talk about giving again because giving would be something we do out of the overflow of what God has already given me. Not something I feel guilted into doing. If we really are a body of worshipers, we would never have to tell you the importance of being in a small group where you can be iron and sharpening iron because we would already have that heartbeat. We would already realize that in a small group, I'm discovering more of who God is, more of who I am, and it's making what he's done for me even that much bigger in my life. See, I want us to be a body of worshipers. But it's not just about seeing who God is and seeing who we are and then seeing what he's done for us. To be a true worshiper also takes surrender. It takes saying, Lord, I get it. I see who I am. Thank you for the grace you've shown me. Take my life. Use it for your kingdom and your glory. That is availability. And here's my prayer, that today, you'd be that kind of person of that kind of surrender. In fact, here's what we're going to do today as we close. We're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know that you belong to him, I invite you to take the supper. You're going to come in a moment, and you're going to take the bread, and you're going to dip into the juice, and just take it right there. But here's what I want you to do when you come to take the supper. I want you to think about, think about, if you're a believer, listen to me, I want you to think about, the ultimate sacrifice and surrender Jesus made for you and for me. As you take that bread, I want you to think about a body that was beaten. The Bible says almost to the point where it was not recognizable. A body that was ridiculed and spit upon. And then as you dip it into the juice, I want you to think about the blood that was shed. Because without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And I want you to think about the sacrifice and the surrender that Jesus did for us. Because Jesus said himself, no one took my life. I laid it down of my own accord. He did it. He chose to do it. And I want you to think about his sacrifice and his surrender. And then as you take that into your mouth and you take the bread and you take the juice, will you make a new commitment to the Lord that you're going to live that kind of life of surrender? That you really do have a heart that says, Lord, here am I. Send me. That's what this table's for. Believers, come. Think about the sacrifice. And as you take it, maybe reflection of the commitment you're making to the Lord to be used by him. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, listen. Today's message is about worshiping God and ascribing word to him. Listen, the greatest message you can hear is this, is there's a heavenly father who loves you. And then you're never beyond the scope of his grace. I don't care how bad you think you are or what you've done. I can pull up some pretty bad dudes in the Bible, some pretty bad gals of the Bible. And here's what you're going to find over and over and over again. God was always wanting to show them grace. But it takes surrender for you too. It takes you acknowledging that you are a sinner and you need Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And if you've never made that decision, as people are taking the Lord's Supper, I'm going to be standing right here and would love for you to come talk to me and lead you to a relationship with Christ. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Everybody stand up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to pray for us. And deacons, if you'll come and make the tables prepared. Father God, I love you for today, and I thank you. This really is a topic we don't talk enough about because, God, it's, it's the thing that we should be doing with all of our lives. 
whether we're driving down the road on our way to work or way home or way to the store. I mean, God, worship should just be part of every, every aspect of our lives. Every day, whether it's through music or giving or our devotion to you, that we are continually expressing our adoration to you. That we're continually ascribing worth to you. God, may we not forget who you are, that you are holy, that you are sovereign. But God, may we not forget who we are. Yeah, we're sinners, but we're also in need of a Savior. And because of Jesus, for those of us in the room that have trusted him with our lives, we stand here today as your children. We stand here today forgiven, not condemned. And we stand here today not recipients of your wrath, but recipients of your grace. And we stand here today no longer in bondage to sin. No longer a slave to sin, but free in Christ. And so, God, I pray for believers in the room that as we come and we take the supper, as we dip the bread into the juice and we take it, that we be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. But as we take that Lord's Supper tonight, that we would be reminded of the commitment that we need to make to you to have a heart of Isaiah to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. God, I'm totally available to you. Everything I have and everything I am belongs to you. Use me, Lord. May we have that heart today. And then I pray for those who don't know you, that today they would surrender their lives to you, that they would move from death to life and trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior. God, may you have your way in this moment. May believers enjoy the table and celebrate your death and what you've done for us and make a new commitment to you and may those who don't know you trust you today for the first time. God, we love you. Bless this time. For it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. As the Lord leads you, you may go to the tables.